Well, if you have your Bibles, now would be a good time to get those out. And turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5. The text that we're going to read this morning, it, um, it may be one of the most quoted passages um, where Jesus is talking. I don't think these verses will catch you by surprise. We've heard them before. Um, and while they may be familiar and often quoted, they would also fall into the category of the most difficult, most challenging, radical, revolutionary words that Jesus ever spoke, um, that we have record of uh, in our Bibles. We're going to read this, and I think you'll, you'll notice this, or it will probably hit you somewhere through, wow, that seems impossible. But Jesus teaches us these words, and so I don't think Jesus would teach us things that he thinks are impossible. They may be possible, impossible on our own effort, but through him and through the power of his resurrection and our belief in him, if he teaches it to us, I think it's something that we can achieve. So I know you just sat down, but I'm a, you need to stand up for this one. To honor the authority of God's word and Jesus' teaching here, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to pick up uh, in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And if you're a scout, 50 miles. <laughs> That's not in the text. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Challenging so far, right? Jesus turns it up a notch here. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect. Therefore, i got to start that over again. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, Jesus is uh, teaching his disciples here, and he gets to the topics this week of revenge and retaliation and dealing with enemies. We love revenge, don't we? <laughs> we we kind of dwell on, we think about revenge, and so we kind of say, come on, Jesus, don't mess with revenge. Just give us, just give us something. Feels so good to retaliate, doesn't it? Somebody hits you, bam, you punch them right back. That's, you know, it's just sort of woven into the fabric of, <laughs> of human beings. If you've ever witnessed children playing together, one child takes a toy from another, that's serious business right there. Lisa ran a daycare in our house, and so I got to witness this all the time. And, you know, there's usually a, maybe an argument over the toy. There may be a chase for the toy. When the child who had the toy taken away from them finally gets it back, sometimes it's not enough just to get the toy back, right? There's a shove or a whack involved, like, hey, you've done me wrong. It starts off as a young age. You, you, might, have, you might have heard some of the sayings that, that go along with revenge, don't get mad, get even, don't get mad, get even. Um, have you heard the one, revenge is sweet? You heard that one? There's another one that's out there, uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. So think about that. Think, think about those last two for a second. Revenge is sweet, and revenge is a dish best served cold. That means revenge is ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and I love me some ice cream. I mean, that's stuff that we crave, right? Revenge, retaliation, getting back at those who have done us wrong. If you take a look at many storylines, movies, books that are out there, lots of them have an undercurrent, undercurrent of what? Retaliation, revenge, getting back at those who have hurt us. One of my very favorite stories um, the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. He tells the story of Edmond Dantes, a young sailor who is wronged by his very best friend and a couple other people, and he ends up spending 13 years isolated in a prison, and he meets a priest who is also uh, in the prison, and during those 13 years, he discovers why he actually landed there. He did not know what he was convicted of, actually. The priest helps him discover it, and so there sets off the whole story of revenge, plotting exactly how he is going to exact payment for how they did him wrong. 
The priest knew of a hidden treasure, and so Edmund, when he escapes from this island prison, he goes and he finds the treasure, and he has a, a, a partner, a, a friend who he's developed along the way who goes with him, and they find this treasure, and it's, it's money beyond anybody could imagine, and his friend says, you are the richest man in the world. What do you want to buy? You know what his answer was? Revenge. Runs deep. And many of our storylines... runs deep if we're honest in lots of us. People do us wrong. Somehow, some way, we want to remember. We want to hold on to that. We want to carry a grudge. There's an African proverb that says, the axe forgets, but the tree remembers. Which means that the paper cut is the tree's last revenge. <laughs> Think about it, and there you go. We have, we have long memories, don't we? When we're hurt, it just seems to stay with us for long periods of time. Maybe we don't have an initial outburst and react immediately in anger, but we carry it with us. And just like Edmund Dante's life was directed by his passion to get back at those who wronged him, you can be fixated on something so much that you begin to see everything through that lens. You begin to see all people through that lens. And you're just super focused on something that's eating you up from the inside. So Jesus addresses this tendency for revenge inside us, he, he addresses it in this passage. And he challenges us to exchange or replace our desire for revenge and retaliation with love. Set the motivation for revenge aside and replace it instead with love. When those fierce emotions that are inside us rise up and, and we feel that our rights have been violated or when we've been insulted and wronged, Jesus is going to ask us, what, what, if, what if you held on to your rights more loosely? What would it look like for you to let go of them, to, to cut loose your own rights for the sake of loving others? And we say that, and we might want to just say, ah, I don't, that's, that's hard. This is hard teaching of Jesus here. You see, I think when Jesus confronts us and asks his followers, I think he asks us this question, what do you do that separates you from other people? As a follower of mine, how are you living that separates you from other people? He asked that question here. Um, what do you do? What are you doing more than others? That's the question. What are you doing more than others? What are, how are you living? Are you living in such a way that's going to set you apart, that people are going to look at you and know that something is different? That's what Jesus is driving at here. I would say that one word that describes 
Christianity or being a Christian really well is the word transformation. Do you agree with that? Or change. Those are two words that, that are sort of the same thing, but they represent what happens inside a person when we make the profession of faith to follow Jesus and call on him as our Lord and Savior. And so there are, um, when you are changed, when you are transformed, it affects your relationships probably more than anything else in your life. And there's three relationships that it affects. That it, when you become a Christian, it, you are transformed and it affects, it directly impacts your relationship first with God. Uh, there is a change that takes place when you recognize that you're a sinner. And that without the grace of God and the, and the work of, of Jesus Christ, that, that, that you are lost, that you are... Um, you can't have a relationship with God without coming to him first and accepting his, his grace. He had to do something on your behalf, something that you couldn't do for yourself. And that what God did for you was to send Jesus to die on the cross to forgive and pay the penalty for your sin, for your brokenness. And when we come to that recognition in our life, it changes our relationship with God. And, at, at, and once you embrace what Jesus did for you on the cross, and all of a sudden your relationship with God is, is made right, and you are filled with his Holy Spirit, and you're, you're welcomed into God's family as a child of God. And so instead of going through life as an enemy or being opposed to God, you are now welcomed into God's family as a family member. And your relationship with God is totally transformed. It's totally changed. Secondly, your, your relationship with yourself is changed. You are made new in Christ. The Bible says when, when you come to Christ, there's a new creation that comes into existence. You, you are transformed from, from inside. You take on this new identity, one that you find in the person of Jesus. And the Bible says that, that we were opposed to God, and, and when we accept Christ, we are, we are drawn close to him. And in Jesus' teaching so far, he's teaching us what it means to be part of God's family. So this Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through, he went up the mountain, he sat down, and he brought those who were following uh, him. He, he, he had them circle around and gather up and like, okay, okay, I need, to, I need to teach you what it means to be one of my followers. And the goal of Jesus' teaching ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, if, you, if you all the way to the end, Matthew chapter 28, the last couple verses, it, it it instructs all of Jesus' followers to go into the world and do what? To make disciples. So the goal is to make disciples, and so part of that process is, is teaching. What does it mean to be a follower? So we have a bunch of scouts in this room, and the goal of scouting, um, there's a rank at the end that the, that the boys work through, and, and they try and achieve the, the rank of Eagle Scout, but the point of scouting isn't just to, to eagle out, to become an eagle scout. The, the point of scouting is to raise uh, these young men into productive 
human beings who can communicate, who can think, who um, you know, can go out into life and be productive and successful. Is that, is that right? Is that fair? So one of the things, um, they did their scout oath a little bit earlier, but there are, there's a scout law as well. And so you scouts that are in the room, what's, uh, what are some of the things that are in the scout law? A scout is to be what? Go ahead and call it out. Trustworthy. What else? I can't, I, I'm, I'm lost. Loyal. Is obedient one of them? Reverent? Thrifty? Brave? Clean? What else? Loyal? There's a bunch on the list. I was going out of order, so I don't know if we got them all. But the point is... Kind. Yes, that's a good one. And courteous. There we go. We got the leaders in on the mix now. Helpful. Yes, you are being helpful. Woohoo! But if you, if you listen to all of those words, that's the point. To go through the scouting program is to help our young ones mature into people who represent these qualities. And so when we look at Jesus' teaching, what Jesus is doing is he's taking young, doesn't matter your chronological age, whenever you come to Christ, you are young in the faith. And when you listen to Jesus, when you sit in a room like this um, and interact with Scripture in a message form, when you go to a core group or to one of uh, our Bible studies or something like that, and you, and you peer into the Word of God and you listen to what Jesus is teaching and to what the other first Christians uh, have taught us in the pages of Scripture, it's to help move us on this continuum from being young and immature in our faith to fully mature followers of Jesus. And so the point, then, is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, people who reflect Christ in the world, people who do what Jesus does, people who go wherever Jesus would go. That's the point. And so your relationship with yourself is changing. It's because you were probably once just all about you. And when you become a follower of Jesus, you kind of set your own identity aside and you take on the identity of Jesus. And you live into his life. Now, you, you do have personal autonomy and you, and you don't give up your character and things like that, but self is no longer important. Living for the cause of Jesus becomes primary. See, there's a fundamental transformation and change in the relationship that you have with yourself. When you're a true, true disciple of Jesus, you begin to see yourself through, through this lens now. I mean, if you think about it, who would do something so radical as to love their enemies? Who, who would do something as revolutionary as spend spending time praying for those who are actively persecuting them. Only, only people who have been transformed by God's grace. 
Only, only those who understand themselves as though they don't have ownership over their own lives, but that God does. And the third relationship that is fundamentally changed and transformed is our relationship with with other people. And in the passage that we read, in much of Jesus' teaching, he is addressing our relationship and how we are to interact with other people. So in verse 38, Jesus says, "Um, you've heard it said. And then he goes on to say, but what I say. You see, Jesus, he wants to deepen what they already know and and understand. He wants to... uh, He wants to help the people come to a full understanding of of what they had been taught, about what has been in the law. And he wants to teach them this deeper understanding so that they can apply it in their own lives. You've heard it said. You've heard the Pharisees talk about this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard the Pharisees teach on this in the synagogues and in other places, but I'm, I'm going to explain it to you a little differently, says Jesus. When most people hear the phrase, you hear it with the tone, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, yes, that sounds like revenge to me. Except it's not about retaliation. See, the old justice found in the Bible was was designed to prevent revenge from running away with itself. Better an eye for an eye than an escalating feud with each side going one worse than the other, each side trying to one-up each other. So if you you slap me, I'm not going to slap you back. I'm going to take you out. Um... You uh, take some crops out of my field, I'm going to kill your horse. You know, those sorts of things. Like, you're going to constantly try and one-up the other person so that you, you power them down. You, you posture yourself over and above. See, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth was put in place so that it would take that sort of retribution away. The statement was given as part of the law to limit retaliation, to to help decide civil matters fairly and and in a legal sense. They wanted to avoid the kangaroo court, you know, like we're just going to settle it amongst ourselves. It was given to make sure that punishment actually fitted the crime that was committed. It's not a measure of revenge, it is, that phrase is there, to prevent revenge. We will pursue justice in the exact measure that is right and true. That's why the law was, was there. And what it did for the people of Israel, it helped them be some of the most merciful people on the planet because it helped them evaluate how they were interacting with other people. See, our tendency, human tendency, is that we're going to strike back, only we're going to strike back harder but the law says, the law says, you can't do that. You can't do that. So Jesus goes on in verse 39. He says, do not, 
Do not resist an evil person. Now, what you, you need to know what he's not teaching here. This is not, it's not a call to be a doormat. It is not instruction to suffer under oppression. Jesus is not saying, let yourself be taken advantage of in this teaching. And you can see this in Jesus' own life. If you remember, if you've, if you've read the Gospels and, and you've read through the Gospel of John, when Jesus is on trial near the end of his life, he, is, uh, he appears before the high priest. And there's a, a, a grand inquisition, a questioning, if you will. And, and so the high priest is asking Jesus questions, and, and Jesus answers a question. And one of the officials that was near Jesus didn't really like the answer that he provided. And so he slapped Jesus. And Jesus, he just didn't, he just didn't roll over there. He didn't become a doormat and ignore that. He, he called him out. And, and his question was, what did I say? What did I say that was wrong? Because if I didn't say anything that was wrong, then your slap was uncalled for. You can't do that. So Jesus had a backbone. He would stand up for himself when it came to legal matters like this. And then if you remember Brother Paul, when he was going around, he was often met with resistance, and he was persecuted, and he was beaten a lot. And there was one instance where he was about to be whipped uh, unlawfully. He had no trial, and he was a Roman citizen, and he was about to be whipped. And just before he was going to take those lashes, he said, hey, there's something you might want to know. I'm a Roman citizen. And it's unlawful for you to whip a Roman citizen without a fair trial and a guilty verdict. So just wanted to put that out there. If you want to go ahead with this lashing, then you are breaking the law and probably will be held responsible for it. So Jesus isn't saying, just roll over and take it, you know, be a doormat, don't, you know, just get rid of any spine that you would have. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying that we shouldn't pursue justice. What he's saying is let the courts do their work. You don't need to take this sort of justice into your own hands. What Jesus is saying here is it's really, it's really profound. As important as this is in a court of law, I think Jesus is talking to us about relationships, personal relationships with one another, not legal matters, but the ways that we sometimes get sideways with one another, the ways that we sometimes insult one another, the ways that we sometimes grieve each other. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He goes on, he says, If someone slaps you on the right cheek, you need to to unpack that statement. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, it's more insult than it is violence. See, to slap somebody 
on the face like this was a deep, deep form of disrespect. If somebody was standing opposite me, their right cheek is over here. So the way, only way that I can slap them on the right cheek, assuming I'm right-handed, is a backhand. It's an insult. It's me posturing myself over and above and making that person feel like they are an inferior. It's total disrespect. It's still like this over in many places in the world, but especially in, in the Middle East. If you remember back during um, the war in Iraq, near the end, they brought in a tank and they, they attached a chain to a big statue of Saddam Hussein. Do you remember this? And they pulled the statue over and the statue came toppling down. Do you remember seeing pictures of that on the news? What happened after that was particularly interesting. There was a whole mob of men who ran up to that statue and they took their shoes off and they slapped the statue in the face. It's the bottom of their shoe. I mean, the dirtiest part of your existence. And, and, and they slapped the statue in the face because they wanted to disrespect it. They wanted, they wanted revenge and retribution, and they wanted to make a statement about all of those years of brutal tyranny. The, the, the backhand stroke is what Jesus is addressing here. He says, when, so when, when Jesus says, if someone slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek, he, he's saying something really powerful. He, he's, what he's saying is, don't worry about saving face. When you have a personal grievance, when you have an issue with somebody, and you are made to feel like you have been backhanded and slapped in the face and totally disrespected, turn the other cheek because you don't have to worry about saving face. That's revolutionary. That's radical teaching of Jesus right here. You don't need to worry about defending your honor, is what he says. When someone insults you, you can either power up and you can retaliate and you can swing back and you can defend your honor, or you can lay your weapons down and turn the other cheek. Jesus says, don't... You don't need to stoop to their level. You don't need to play the game on their playing field. See, somebody strikes you, whether it's physically or emotionally or, or whatever it is, if somebody insults you or grieves you in that way, to turn the other cheek is to give them a choice. You didn't swing back. You didn't power up. You didn't go to bat to defend your own honor. You gave them a choice to continue <clears throat> swinging, except this time, if you turn the other cheek, then they would, they would have to punch you or slap you with an open hand on this side, which means they're, they're looking at you more as an equal. Or it gives them the option to kiss your cheek. So to respond by turning the other cheek puts the action back 
in their court. They can continue swinging. Or maybe, because that's such a radical thing that you are doing, maybe they'll be at the point of reconciliation. Hmm. And if you think about that, the goal as a follower of Christ is to be a person of reconciliation. So to be a person of reconciliation in the relationships that we have with people. You, you can't reconcile when you retaliate. You can't reconcile when you are seeking revenge. You can't, re- you, you, you can't reconcile when you're harboring the grudge. It's hard to embrace somebody when you're swinging and throwing rocks or if you're the one who's taking on the fire yourself. See, when you let, when you let bitterness shape your thoughts and emotions, when, when you say this relationship is just over, I'm, I'm done. I'm not speaking to you anymore. It's hard to back away from that, isn't it? We get locked into a place and our pride takes over and when it becomes a pride issue, it's so hard to back away from that. And Jesus asks us that question, what do you do that separates you from others? What what do you do that others don't do? What sets you apart? Ah! Right? Do you know how hard it is to restrain? You know how hard it is not to give insult for insult? You know how hard it is not to throw a punch when you've just taken one? How are you going to respond? This is one way that we can be a light to the world. This is one way that we can be the glow that Jesus calls us to be out in the world. We don't just say, well, that's okay, don't worry about it and move on. No, we acknowledge our hurt, but we let the other person know that we're not going to hold it against them. And that when they are ready to enter back into healthy relationship and reconcile that we are right here, bearing no grudge, ready to forgive. Jesus prayed this prayer from the cross. As he was being crucified, he looked out on the people who were doing that, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prayed the prayer of forgiveness while we were killing him. There's power. There's power in forgiveness. It Forgiveness encourages reconciliation, and it has, it has this healing power in it. And as Christ followers, we of all people should understand this power of forgiveness more than anybody else, because it's transformed our lives. It's changed our relationship with God. It's changed who we see ourselves to be, and it's beginning to change, and it ought to change how we deal with, with one another. I, I sense that for, for some of you here today, you've got some relationships where this, where this is the issue. 
You may have a relationship that's strained or broken. You might sense that the door is shut. You might be the one who shut the door. But the light is totally off in this relationship. And if there's any light at all, it's just a little flickering glow in some window. But there's no, there's no connection. I think what Jesus may be asking you is to prayerfully consider this. You don't have to save face. You don't have to defend your honor. As the followers of Christ, we're all, we're all to be committed to this ministry of reconciliation. And when the person is ready to have a healthy relationship, we are more than ready to receive them, harboring no grudge or bitterness, holding no anger against them. See, it's so freeing to know that no human is going to determine your honor. You don't have to fight for it. Your identity and worth is found in Jesus Christ. You don't have to save face. You can just lay your weapons down and be open to reconciliation. Well, Jesus goes on. Give your coat. Go the extra mile. What he's teaching us is not to demand our rights when someone is mean-spirited to us, but I just sense that maybe verse 38 and 39 is enough for us today. And I'm willing to have this be a to-be-continued and come back and talk next week about the rest of the verses we read and figuring out what does it mean to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I'm going to go ahead and close with, with that. I want you to ponder it. I, I want to have a few minutes where we can pray and our worship team is going to come back and we're going to sing that shepherd song again. Maybe they could just play it lightly behind us. But I just want you to invite you into a, a few minutes of, of prayer. Relationships are tough, aren't they? It's okay to say yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. You can even nudge the person you're next to if, <laughs> if you need to. But there's places probably in all of our lives that there's some level of brokenness where there's a grievance that you're holding on to maybe you've hurt somebody yourself and you know it maybe God's checking your spirit this morning and saying you know I I probably need to make that right maybe maybe you're the one who got steamrolled and you just don't know how to move forward. And the Holy Spirit's talking to you and saying, you know what? You don't have to fight back. 
You don't have to worry about defending your own honor. You're my child. I've got this. Your identity is found in me. You can live into that wholeness. I can help you let go of the bitterness. I can help you let go of any anger that you might have. You are a child of God. You are made new in Christ. It's all work that the Holy Spirit can do in your life.